Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. You know, friends, as we uh, continue in our sermon series, we're, we're winding down in it. Um, in fact, this is the second to last, and of course, on Christmas Eve, you'll get the last one, which means you ought, probably ought to be here. Uh, but, you know, we're a people who want answers. I remember uh, that uh, when my dad would tell me to do things, the first thing out of my mouth would be, why? Anybody else done that? Why? I, even today, I think sometimes we ask the question, why? We all have questions. Well, why did you do that? Why did that have to happen? What does this mean? Why? And you know, here's the thing. Sometimes the people we're asking don't have an answer. Sometimes there really is no answer. Although some people may give us one, it doesn't mean it's a good one. It doesn't mean it's a real one. Some questions just have no answer. And sometimes in the Scripture, I, I hate to do it, but sometimes, especially uh, with, uh, with Andrew, Andrew and, I, and Jay too, uh, they'll text me, ask me questions, and so does Billy. And I'll say, I don't know. That's something, that's the million-dollar question. It's what we're all wanting to know. We don't have answers. Right, Billy? And Billy keeps coming back, but there's got to be an answer. And sometimes there just isn't, you know. And this side of heaven, we may not know, right? Right? Andy, am I right? Where is Andy? I'm looking. Oh, he's in there? Okay. Well, he, he would say, yeah. Jay, right? Sometimes? And many of the rest of you have said, well, I, I don't know. And so, you know, why did Jesus come? Well, I think we can answer that question. I, I think, and there's, and there's more than one answer to it. But here's the thing. Most people will look at the why Jesus came, and to them it might mean something different than the person next to him. Because we identify with Christ very differently, hence the way we connect to him. That's why there's so many different denominations and theological differences out there. Because we connect to Christ differently. It doesn't make any one of us wrong. Although some things that people believe, I believe are wrong. Because they're not scriptural. But by and large, in the Christian church, regardless of what name is on the front door, if you're a Christ-believing, Bible-believing church, your connection with him might be different than the one down the street or across town. Indeed, around the world. And that's okay. Because God will meet you where? Where you are. And I'm grateful for that, aren't you? And so we can answer the questions to a point, why did Jesus come? And there's a lot of reasons. And today we're going to talk about why he came, and it was to be our high priest. And this might be the most difficult one for us to understand because it's not quite as tangible to us as we'd like it to be sometimes. Because we want answers to the logistical reasons versus the higher reasons. And oftentimes, we're compelled to step back and look at the bigger picture to see 
more than what we're seeing in front of us. And I think this is one of those times. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to look at two verses today, and I'm going to do it this morning out of the New Revised Standard. And probably nobody in here has got one of those. Uh, you might, or some of you might have a parallel Bible that's got it. But the New Revised Standard, uh, well, the, new, the Revised Standard for many years was included in the uh, uh, direct translation versions that were allowed in seminary. The New Revised Version, they claim is a direct translation, but it has some, it takes certain liberties with things that some scholars don't really believe that it's a direct translation. And so it's maybe used at a seminary, maybe not. Uh, nevertheless, I do like the way this is worded very well. And so uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what the writer has to say. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are also being tested. Now, I like that. We're going to look at that scripture again in the NIV later on, but I really like the way that that's laid out for us, because it tells us that Jesus, even though sometimes we put him up on this pedestal where he didn't suffer or go through the same temptations we did, the Bible claims that he absolutely did, and that being fully God made no difference. He still, as a full human, had to make decisions and choices and made the right ones, and we haven't always done that. And so, th in this manner, it, it kind of levels the playing field. It proves to us that we can be just like Him, even though sometimes we give ourselves a break and a crutch saying, well, we can't. No, the Bible says we can't. And so as we wind down the study of why Jesus came and the answer to the question from the book of Hebrews, we have to review what we've learned. And the reason is that each point builds on the other one before it so that we can understand the mystery of what God did through, first of all, the immaculate conception, which has you know, never been duplicated, right? And then the virgin birth, which has also never been duplicated, never will. And then through the plan of redemption and salvation, through the spilling of blood, by the atonement for our sins, and then finally, the resurrection and ascension of our high priest. Now, remember that Jesus came to be our substitute, and aren't you glad of that? That somebody took your place for the punishment that you rightly deserve. Someone took your place. And you know what? A lot of people won't become a Christian because they just don't believe that. They just don't believe that in their life they were so bad that it deserved death because we want to discount sinfulness. Now, let that sink in for a minute. We want to discount sinfulness. To us, it wasn't that bad. And God says, it, it doesn't matter how bad or not you think it is, any sin is a transgression. Well, but God, you know, in our, in our court system, you know, you don't deserve death for a traffic ticket or for telling somebody off or for losing your temper. Maybe not. But in God's kingdom, that's different. And since he's the judge, and he's the one that sets the boundaries and the bar, then we're beholden to what he says, not what we want to make it. Unfortunately, in the church today, we're trying to make it our way. And therein lies the problem and the separation. And that's what God's trying to tell us. We had to have a high priest. And he took the punishment for us that we deserved. And then he came to sanctify us as well. 
Why? To make us holy and acceptable before God. See, I, I don't want to meet God without being acceptable. I, I, I want to be accepted. I don't want to stand before Him and say, he, he say no, you, you, you aren't acceptable. And the only way I can be that, no matter how good I am on earth, it doesn't matter. It's through the blood of Christ and identifying with His family and my atonement. That's how it was done. And then we have to take our salvation to the next level as obedient servants to the living God. And there we struggle too. Because again, we want to pick and choose and determine what being a good servant is. And the standard has to be the Father. And so as our example in this life, Jesus became the author of our salvation. And He also came to break Satan's power. And I think that one we really like. We really like the idea that He came to give us authority over Satan. Anybody like having authority over Satan? Yeah, that's, that's the one we relish the most. That's the one we really, really want. Why? Well, because, you know... <laughs> We know how difficult it is to do the right thing sometimes. And we know how difficult it is. You know, Flip Wilson said it time and again when I was growing up. Everybody remember that? The devil made me do it. Well, you know, maybe not. But you listened. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, there's a, a movie out there uh, that uh, Feature Films for Family does, and my kids got it a number of years ago. It's called The Buttercream Gang. Maybe some of you have seen it. And in it, one of the young men who used to be a really good kid moved away uh, from, you know, this community, which was a... Uh, a, a, a close-knit, you know, and rural community uh, where everybody did the right thing or they were taught to do the right thing. And he went to live in the city of Chicago where <laughs> not necessarily. And so he got involved in a gang and some kids that weren't a good influence. And when he came home uh, to visit, his, his aunt, you know, kept getting him out of trouble. And he was a complete different kid. He became a bad kid versus a good kid. And he made excuses every time. And he said, listen, I didn't do it this time. Somebody in another gang set me up. She said, maybe so. But what you did do is choose the wrong friends. And so, friends, we have, we have a decision to make. Who are we going to align ourselves with? Is it going to be the right influences in society or the wrong ones, you see? And so Christ came to sanctify us, to make us holy, that we might make the right decisions. Because when you haven't done that, you will never make the right decisions, even if you think you have. And then... By breaking the power, he showed us how by giving us the means to resist the temptations of our arch enemy and to overcome his earthly authority with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. I think that's tremendous. And so today, we're going to learn how and why he is our high priest before the Father. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to finish by learning how through all of this, he came to set us free. And I, I, think, that's, I think you're going to love this message. What an amazing plan that God has put into place for His most treasured creation, you and me. So let's take a look at our high priest because it begins with the Old Testament high priest. And the, the Old Testament high priest was appointed according to the instruction of God. Hebrews 7, uh, 26 to 28 says, Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, which has been made perfect forever. Now, there's several aspects of that 
I think we have to look at. But to do it, we have to take the summarization here in, in, the, in, the, in this verse of Hebrews and then go back to the Old Testament. And so let's talk about the requirements. God clearly required the priest to have much higher qualities than the common person. And that remains as such today, too. And that's, that's two-faceted, actually. We're going to talk about that, and our, our pastors are going to understand that when, because they probably studied it. But nevertheless, God requires the priest to have higher qualities than the common person. In fact, the priests were really showing the people what everyone should eventually be as the people of God. And there are three requirements in the Old Testament that we have to go back to. And I have to tell you, you're probably going to look at this and say, well, that's not fair. Maybe not, but that's what God required. Well, that's not fair. Maybe not, but that's what God required. But that's not fair. Maybe not, but that's what God required. See, we don't, we don't get to decide what's fair and what is not. God does. And I found myself at the odd end of that sometimes when God did or did not do something that I thought he ought or ought not. And guess what? I said, God, that's not fair. I actually told God more than once it wasn't fair, that he wasn't fair. Has anybody done that before? God, you're not being fair. And God's like, I'm incredibly fair. It just didn't go the way you wanted it to this time. But that doesn't make it not fair. And so these priests, God required them to be a specimen of physical perfection. <laughs> now, I've looked in the mirror recently, and I don't see that. Anybody? Not, I'm not talking about you to me. I'm talking about you. I mean, I look in the mirror, I don't see it. I'm hoping you look in the mirror and you don't see it either. Why? Because all of us would like to be better physically than we are. Yeah, see? I'm hearing it. And I, listen, I've never worn makeup in my life. Well, not on purpose. Okay? Uh, there were times when uh, my daughter Carol would sit on my lap and she would make me up. Carol, do you remember those days? She doesn't remember. I do. And, I didn't, and my wife used to tell me, why do you let her do that? Because some of that stuff doesn't come off easy. Right? And I'm grateful that nobody visited during that time. And I didn't have to run out in a hurry or something. You know? You know? Uh, so a lot of people uh, go to bed at night uh, wearing certain pajamas because in case something happens, they have to go by ambulance to the hospital. They want to look their best when they go. I've heard people tell me that. I'm not kidding. Okay? So we're concerned about how we look. And oftentimes our physical appearance isn't what we'd like it to be, but the priest had to have physical perfection. And, but what God's talking about isn't what, what we're talking about is vanity. God's not talking about that type of physical perfection. In fact, in Leviticus 21, uh, verses 16 to 23, we find this. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has defect may come near to offer the food for his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled hand or foot, or who is a hunchback or dwarf, or who has any eye defect, or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles, believe it or not. <laughs> it's in there. Uh, no descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has any defect, is to come near to present the food offerings of the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may, not, he may eat of the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food, yet because of his defect, he may not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. Now, again, <laughs> some of us may take exception to God's requirements because we would say, What's wrong if you have a hunchback? You can't help it. What's wrong 
Well, maybe so. And God didn't say you were less of a person. He simply said you couldn't be a priest in, in the Old Testament during that regard. Now, I've not seen a pastor today who's a hunchback, but I'm sure there are one, at least one. Because physical defects are different now than they were back then. Okay? So God has changed some things on the advent of the Christ. But this is what the Lord has commanded. And God wanted good physical for his service. He also required unblemished animals for sacrifice. Why? Because God wants the absolute very best when presented to him. You may not understand it. You may not even like it. But God has spoken. And that's what he said. He also required domestic purity. Domestic purity. God required that a man appointed to be a priest of the people have a home that was above reproach. Have a home that's above reproach. And I think most pastors today strive to have a home that's above reproach. It isn't always. We're human like anybody else. And we have our disagreements and we have our fights and we have our disillusionments and we have all sorts of issues just like anybody else. And we would be silly to say it doesn't happen. But I'm grateful for restoration when I mess up, and I'll bet you are too. And yet God said, in a home of a man called into my service, it ought to be a place of domestic purity. And God calls lay people to that too. In the New Testament, doesn't he, Pastor Bob? 100%. God required that a man appointed to be a priest of the people have a home above reproach. And that included his wife and children. And he had to lead them and guide them in that. And if they were disobedient, God had consequences for them. Now, that's, I know, again, that's something we don't want to hear. We live in a society today where we want equality. Well, I don't think God's talking about equality in that manner. Equality is great, and I think everybody ought to have it. But God still appointed the man to lead his family. And that hasn't changed. And that means, guys, that you have to do it better by the word of God. Not be a totalitarian or a rule giver, but to be a tender warrior for your family, a protector and a guider, yeah? That, and you know what? Every woman I've ever spoken to, except for the ones that are women's livers, and there's some of those out there. You know, so uh, uh, don't, I don't, don't get me started on that. But, but the fact of the matter is, most women that I've talked to want to submit to and follow a strong godly man. God, get, ladies, yes or no? Yeah, they do. <laughs> He's always got an answer, doesn't he? Anyway, so anyway, so God reasoned that if, man, if a man couldn't keep his house in order, then he likely couldn't be a proper servant in the church because he would be given over to, well, making compromises. And we can't. And sometimes being a leader is hard because you have to make tough decisions, don't you? Nobody likes them. Nobody likes conflict. Well, some people relish it, I guess, but most don't. And, and I get that. But you see, God wants people of holiness and purity to serve as his clergy. And it has always been this way since the beginning of time. Why? Because God wants the people to look to the priest or the pastor in order to know how to live a blameless life. And if you're not doing it, uh, how can you ask or expect them to? That's what God's looking for. We are to be presented back to God as the bride of Christ, as, as a congregation. You understand that? And what kind of bride do you think God wants for His Son? He wants one that He's proud of, 
one of purity and righteousness and holiness. One that can wear white, you know, when we're presented together. And I, I think that's a beautiful depiction of what God's looking for. Thirdly, a priest had to have a public spirit. The high priest was not to allow any private sorrow to interfere with his public service. Now, the other priests that assisted him were allowed a little more liberty in this regard, although theirs also had very definite limits. But the one great principle reinforced by these regulations was this public spirit. I mean, how, how are you perceived? Uh, how, how are you in the public eye? What's your demeanor? What, what exudes from you? The priest was to feel that as a public officer, a representative of man, it was his duty to sacrifice the personal and private of his life to the common good of others. And I'm telling you, if you're a pastor, you will find that to be absolutely true because the phone could ring at any moment, at any time of the day, and you're expected to be available. Now, sometimes you're not. I get that. But you're expected, and, and God wants you to be. And sometimes because of that, your family will suffer, and they have. And I'm grateful to all the pastor's wives or the pastor's husbands out there if it's a female pastor. And I'm grateful for the pastor's children who in some cases put up with it. Because here's the thing, friends. Not every congregational member out there does it for the right reasons. Sometimes some people wear it out when it probably isn't necessary. And yet others will never call unless they're like dying. And then maybe they'll call. You know? And, and you, you're, but you're still to serve all of them nevertheless. Yeah. And so you got to have the right attitude too. And it, it's hard sometimes when you just sat down to dinner or, or you're going someplace and you have big family plans or, or maybe you're not even in town. It happens. But God wants this public spirit from his servants. So in other words, the priests were to live a life of sacrifice. And their sacrifice brought themselves and others through their example closer to God. And that was the whole idea in the first place. You see, friends, we live in a day and age when sacrifice for anything is pretty much unheard of. I, I believe that. I really do. Why? Because nobody wants to sacrifice anything. We, we, we really don't. And we're willing to sacrifice a little bit, but we always put limits on what we're willing to sacrifice. Have you noticed that? And if we're not willing to sacrifice for others, we certainly won't be willing to sacrifice for God. We'll say we are, but we're probably really not. And that kind of defeats the whole purpose. You see... We got this society today that believes we're owed something, like we're entitled. We've been taught by the enemy, get yours, do yours, it's your time. Well, some of that's true. And I think setting goals, and I, and, and I think that, you know, striving to be the best and wanting to win, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But my goodness, isn't there more than that sometimes? There ought to be. And you know, friends, I found another thing gets involved. Our pride doesn't allow us to sacrifice our time oftentimes. It doesn't allow us to sacrifice our time. It doesn't allow us to sacrifice our money and certainly not our talent for others, especially if we don't think they're worthy of it. And let's face it, you know somebody in your life that you don't think is worthy of any of those things. So that's who we are today, you know. And... Friends, it stands to reason that we won't sacrifice those things for God either. But he demands it. <laughs> now, this message today isn't designed to be a, you know, finger-pointing thing. But God wants to bring us to a sobering moment so that he can build us up. He always does. And that's what we're doing today. So 
we have to take a quick look in the mirror. And it isn't for the vanity. When you look in the mirror, when you look at, don't look for the physical perfection. Look for the spiritual perfection. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what God sees anyway? God, God's looking, and, and he said it about his son. He said, here is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he wants to say that about each and every one of us someday. And so when you look in the mirror, if you don't see physical perfection, don't worry about that. Because I'm telling you, as I get older, I realize the physical part goes downhill. I know that. But here's what, and, 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 and there, I, there are examples out there that plastic surgery doesn't work. In fact, it might be worse. But, here, but here's the fact, okay? But the spiritual, that's something that everybody can perfect. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't matter what you look like. And when you, when you receive the crown of glory, when you receive the new body, here's what's going to happen. The physical part isn't what anybody's going to recognize anyway. So don't worry about what you're going to look like in heaven. Look, look, be concerned with what the spiritual part is going to look like because that's what you're going to recognize. That's what Jesus got, and that's why the disciples didn't recognize him because they didn't see the physical anymore. They saw the spiritual. Okay? And that's what we're going to have. So work on the spiritual and look in the mirror and see what God sees spiritually. And if your aroma isn't good, ask God to help you fix it. Amen? That's what God's looking for. Because self-centeredness has replaced self-sacrifice in this, in this world. But God demands more of the priest. He demands more of his lay people too. Back in the early times, people fulfilled their calling to God. And now I wonder what kind of priests and pastors we're appointing. I really do. And some of them are my friends, and I'm, I'm disappointed. Because it's not how they look physically, it's how they look spiritually. The things that they condone or allow that are clearly against Scripture. I, I understand having a big heart. I understand having compassion. But that doesn't change the fact that God says, these things you shall not do. These things you are to do. God won't compromise, and neither can we. And we can't expect our priests to do it either. Amen? So... That's what happened in the Old Testament instruction. And the high priest was appointed a minister of God to Israel. In fact, he was to make special decisions for the nation. In other words, to interpret the Scripture, discern the Word of God, and then advise the government. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? He was to read the Word of God, discern what God was saying, and advise the government on those things. Today... You know the answer. We have gone away from what our founding fathers in this nation alone knew was necessary. You can say whatever you want. You can argue with me as long as you want to. But I'm telling you, as I read the Constitution, as I read the letters between our forefathers, I know what they stood for. And I do not care even this much what the naysayers are going to tell me. I don't care if they want to pull excerpts from things that that Adams and Jefferson said. I know what the men as a whole said we must be. And that's what our nation was founded on. Abraham Lincoln himself ratified that time and again on the the balances of the Scripture. It's a fact. And we're screaming today for the separation of the church from the state. That's what we're screaming for. People are screaming. Even Christians are saying it. I'm saying it too, but not in the manner that they think. That has never been God's plan. Never. The priest was to instruct the government on the things of God. Period. Has been from the beginning. 
And you know why this nation has been the most favored nation? It's because our forefathers understood and knew that, and they framed the Constitution in that regard. Our nation was founded on Christian principles, all the while allowing freedom of any religion you want to practice. Yes or no? It's a fact. You can, you can frame it any way you want, but I can prove it to you again and again, if you'll let me. If you'll let me. Okay? So the fact is, we have a question. How can a government know how to govern the people properly if we take out the spiritual instruction and the morality, our sense of right and wrong that God has handed down to us from the beginning of time? And the answer is, you can't. And we aren't, are we? So that's a fact. Yet this is exactly what Satan is using the people for, to take God out of every political and governmental institution, every election, and every government cause. Our sense of right has been hijacked by Satan from the beginning of time. He began in the garden with the very first humans, yes or no? And he hijacked our sense of right, and he replaced it with a false sense of right that he has determined and allowed us and given us the audacity to believe that we can determine right and wrong. Again, God set the priests in place to see to it that the people never lost sight of the spiritual, and unfortunately, we've lost sight of it, even in the church. The high priest was to make atonement for the people before God as well. Every year, the people would bring their sacrifices to the priests, and the priests would accept the sacrifices based upon the needs of the people. They would kill the animals and allow their blood to spill off the altar, and God would look down upon those sacrifices. And then the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of the tabernacle. And then he would offer a portion of the blood spilled on the altar outside and an offering of the choicest roasted meat and roasted and baked unleavened bread over a fire. And he would do so to the Lord. And God would smell the aroma as the smoke would burn from the Holy of Holies. And God would smell that and it would be pleasing to him. And he would look at the blood that was shed and he would then allow that to be the atonement for the people and he would accept the offering. You see, the high priest was the only one allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and make this offering to God. And he only did so once a year. And as he prepared to put on the holy robes to go in there, uh, the other priest would tie a rope around his waist before he went in so that if he were to die in there before he came out, and it would be days, okay? If he were to die in there before he got the answer from God, that they could drag him out so nobody else would have to try to go in and get him. And that could be because he just had a natural dysfunction of life and he died. Or maybe he would offer something with the wrong heart and God would <laughs> take him out in there. And God wasn't opposed to doing that either. And they, so they could drag him out. That might be something new. Maybe you didn't know that, but it's fact. Am I right, Pastor Bob? Yes or no? Yeah. So the priest went to make atonement for the people. You see, God takes atonement for sins very seriously. I know that by the sacrifice he sent to us, for us, you know. And blood had to be spilled. It still has to be spilled. And the priest and the high priest were those appointed to offer the sacrifices before the Lord. And then they were to give spiritual guidance to the people, to help the people understand God even more and interpret what was right and proper versus what wasn't in their daily lives. That which was pleasing to God. That the only problem was the people didn't agree with what the priests were beginning to tell them. Did you hear what I said? The people didn't agree with what the priests were instructing them. Why? Because they wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. 
in order to do and act in the way that suited them. Not so much unlike the church today. Would you agree? Notice I said the church today. You see, this has nothing to do with unbelievers any more than it did non-Israelites in the Old Testament. It, it doesn't matter uh, if, if you're an unbeliever out there or if you're a non-Israelite. It doesn't matter because God wasn't speaking to those people through the priests. He was speaking to the believers. He was speaking to the believers today, and he was speaking to the Israelites of that day. They were the ones that were being disobedient. Everybody knows it's without question that outsiders are being disobedient. But my goodness, when we have disobedience within the nation of Israel, and today we have disagreement and we have disobedience within the church, I would say that's quite a problem. And that's exactly what God's talking about, and that's why the priests were there to make sacrifice and to give guidance to the people. No, God was speaking through the priests of the Israelite nation, and they refused to listen. And someday we might just be able to ask Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Joel, Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Elijah, Elisha, Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, just like Jesus would be, and gee whiz, Moses and Joshua, and how many others? We move to the Old Testament. We're going to be able to ask John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, Jude, and certainly John. Heck, the people even refused to listen to Jesus, for goodness sake. Maybe even especially Jesus. I think we can make a case for that. And the people who claim to be Christians today are the ones God is speaking to through his pastors. And you know what, friends? I'm finding they're still refusing to listen. Why? Because even today, people want to do what they want, when they want it, and the way they want it. And so we're going to use human reasoning to justify right and wrong. See it all the time. And then when we want to do that and we know we're wrong and we don't want to face the pastor, we just stop coming to church. Or we find another one that doesn't require us to. Isn't that interesting? All the while, knowing that God determines right and wrong, whatever deal we've made with ourselves wasn't really with ourselves. We think it is, but it really isn't. And it certainly wasn't with God. So we all know who the deal was made with. And I'm telling you, if you made a deal, you've been duped. Because the devil doesn't make good deals. He doesn't make good deals. Never has. Never will. He makes deals that benefit him. Not you. Not God. And if we don't know it yet, we will one day. But in any case, God saw that the animal sacrifices weren't enough. And that the people weren't listening to the priests anyway. No matter what he did. No matter what he told them. And so he went to plan B. And in that plan, my friends, for you and me, Christmas came about. The birth of the perfect high priest. And so let's move to that. Jesus Christ is and always will be our forever high priest. Our forever high priest. God determined that in order to have a high priest who is a perfect specimen of what God required, that he would have to be the father of that individual. And so the high priest would have a blameless and sinless pedigree, all the while still having a sin nature as a human, but never acting upon it. And aren't you glad that Jesus was able to do that for you and me? He would have to be without blemish physically. He would have to be domestically pure, meaning he would have to be righteous, holy, always about the Father's business. And even while tempted by the enemy, he would have to remain pure and blameless in the Father's sight. And he did. He would have to please God in every way, and he did. And even in his humanness, he would have to be able to resist the temptations that all humans are subjected to, 
regardless of what they are. And he would have to pass the test of obedience no matter what. Oh, I know that he asked not to have to go through it. But when the answer came, he was obedient, the Bible says, even unto death on a cruel cross. And you know what, friends? He was the only one able to do that. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I'm grateful for my king who did it for me. Because didn't he, Carol? He looked ahead in time when he was on the cross, and he saw me, and he saw you. And he's going to see your children and your grandchildren and those yet to come until he returns. Remember that there had to be a perfect sacrifice in the spilling of blood. He would have to be the perfect example of mankind, and Jesus was all of that. In fact, the book of Hebrews is, brilliant, is a brilliantly written manuscript. It is the most biblical it is, it, it is to the most biblical scholars the most fascinating of the books. Why? Because it is clearly written by a human who was incredibly close to God. Now, there's, there's dispute as to who actually wrote it. You know who I think it is. I, I, I think Apostle Paul wrote it. I think he had a little help from um, the disciple. Well, and the Apostle Luke wasn't a disciple. I think Luke helped him with that. But I, I believe it was written when, when Paul was in prison for the very last time. But I, I want to tell you why I think it, okay? Because this individual, this individual was somebody who was completely surrendered to their king. They surrendered their being and their spirit to the Holy Spirit. Somebody who wrote while in the spirit about things that no human ever knew or could know. And this person did it so that God could help us understand why sacrifice why blood, why holiness and righteousness and the priesthood are so incredibly paramount and important to God. You see, God will not compromise His standards, and neither can any person who truly belongs to our righteous and holy Father. We do it, but we can't do it in good conscience. Because the book of Hebrews tells us about this high priest. There was only one in history who even comes close to what God demands, and that was Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And he was the only king who was also a priest. This new high priest would surpass Melchizedek in every way, the Bible says. As good as Melchizedek was, he wasn't good enough, but the next one would be. But God honored good King Melchizedek by naming the order of the priesthood after him. And this new king and priest would absolutely be that and way more. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 7, and Hebrews 8 all talk about this high priest Melchizedek. And it has it is delighted and baffled scholars at the same time for literally years. There is so much there. You couldn't get all of Hebrews if you wanted to. And the truth is, we look at Revelation as the most difficult book to understand. It is not. Hebrews is by far the most difficult book to understand because there's so much there about the essence of God and what it requires. This new priest, the new high priest, would be appointed to minister to God for us, a minute, as a minister to God for us. Now listen to this, Hebrews 2, 17 18. This is the NIV I told you about. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that we might be, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are also being tempted. You see, friends, this is why Jesus was able to minister for us. He had to be blameless and sinless and yet still human. 
mankind had become corrupted through sin. There was not one, the Bible says, that was sinless. Yet Jesus received his sinless pedigree from the Father, and that's why he was able to maintain it. He kept it by resisting the devil and, and being completely obedient to the Father. And all he said was, be like me. Be like me. And you're white, like, wait a minute, but we didn't have your pedigree. We were born into a sinful nature. We were born into sinfulness because our fathers were all sinners, as were our mothers. You only had one parent that was a sinner. Your, your father was sinless, and that's how you got your pedigree. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, but I've got a plan for that. I've got a plan for that. Put that on the back burner for a minute. You see, when we fail, and we do fail sometimes, and when we fall, and we do fall, His atonement is there for us. You see, He has been subjected to everything we are, everything we've ever had to do. He, he's been subjected to it, and yet He persevered, proving to us that after we become like Him, this is the key, after you are saved and you become like Him, because at that moment, you are sinless, yeah? When you say, I do to Christ, and He comes in and, and lives in you by the Spirit, you are sinless at that moment, yeah? Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin again. We all do. But when you are, that's brought to your attention, you acknowledge it, right? You ask for forgiveness. It's given. And then you're justified when you turn from it. You see, you can't ask for forgiveness and accept it and then not turn from it. When you don't turn from it, you're still in the sin. You understand? This is what pastors don't want to teach. But you can't continue in the sin. Otherwise, you're not blameless anymore. And the cycle continues. So when you turn from it, now you're counted as righteous again. Now you're counted as righteous. And Jesus said, when that occurs, now you can be like me in every way. You're subjected to all the same things that I was and vice versa. But the fact is, you can choose to say no to what the devil's trying to put in your path. You can say no. Even when you think you can't. And Christ proved to us that when, when what God demands, we can and should live it out here on earth. And we can once we've accepted that He's our sacrifice, accepted His forgiveness when we ask for it, and then turned from the sin. Now we can live that life blameless before God and righteous. That's how you do it. Again, remember that atonement. His sacrifice justifies us even now before the Father, provided we acknowledge our sinful acts. When we fall, and we do, even after you get saved, you're going to fall. I have, you have, we all have. It's supposed to be less and less, yeah, as time goes on, but you're still going to fall. And when you do, the high priest is there, provided your eyes are on him, still making atonement for you, still making justification for you. There is evidence of the new covenant between God and mankind that Jesus established and brought to completion when he said on the cross, it is finished. Hebrews 8, 1-2 says, But in the fact of ministry, Jesus has received as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator. It is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And aren't you grateful for that? Jesus says, you can be like me, and Lord willing, if you follow me, you'll be with me in paradise. It doesn't matter when you die. You're still with him. Amen? I want to see that. Anybody? And lastly, 
in his appointment as high priest, God and mankind, between God and mankind, he continues to work in our lives by the power of the Spirit when he asks the Father to, to give to us in order to keep us sanctified until he returns to make the covenant complete. Through our reward at the wedding of the bridegroom and the bride and to receive our inheritance at the wedding feast that every single one of us wants to attend, that will be the consummation of our reward. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 34, who then is the one who condemns? The devil? No, he's been defeated. So no, if you accept Christ and live for Christ, the devil has no power on you. Jesus told his accusers, as well as he told the one who said, I have the power to crucify you or release you. Jesus said, you would have no power over me were it not given you. And we can say the exact same thing to the government, to persecutors, to naysayers, even to murderers who would do, us, do away with us. And even to the arch enemy of the devil, we can say, you have no power over us unless it were given to you. And at this point, it's been taken away. So therefore, you have no power. Take my life, that's fine. But my life in eternal is there every time. No greater plan in the history of mankind, my friends. And so as I begin to think about that, <laughs> Paul said, who then is the one who condemns? No one, Jesus Christ, who died. More than that, who was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God and is also still, get this, interceding for us. Praise God to that. As our worship team comes, listen to this. Christ was appointed, appointed in God's eternal plan by His Word. Hebrews 2.17 says that Christ became one of us to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to satisfy and take away God's righteous wrath and judgment of our sin. And I began to think and I thought, you know what? Thank Jesus Christ for His gracious work for you, because he, came, he became one of us. He understands and sympathizes with us. He never looks the other way at our sin. Did you understand that? He never looks the other way on our sin. We like to think that He does. We're going to teach that He does, and we, and we tell others that He does. He does not. Christ has never accepted sinful activity. Hear me. He has never accepted sinful activity. Activity. I don't care what people say, he never has, and he never will. However, he does always intercede for us when we come to our senses to make us righteous again, doesn't he? Turn from your sin, turn from it, and move forward into the grace of God. And he comes to our aid when we need it. It requires a resolve and an action on our part, yes, but thanks be to God for His plan. We have a high priest who makes that intercession for us all the while, giving us an example of what we can and should be, and at the same time, establishing our heavenly home for the future of eternity into the glory of God the Father. And I began to think, and I thought, thank the Lord today for His gracious work on our behalf. What do you think?